This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week TV podcast. Joining me as always, Andrew Mercado. Welcome back. Hi there, James. It's been a little while, but uh, we, we're doing our best to keep to this um, a fortnightly uh, schedule, give or take a few days. There's a lot to talk about this week. Got a, uh, we're going to go through the nine up front in um, some detail. Uh, Andrew wasn't there, but I was, and I just want to get feedback off him on all their programming ideas for next year, the new shows, the shows that are coming back. There's a whole lot of other new shows coming up. There's only a few weeks of survey left, so we're going to delve into them. And at the end, I'm just going to catch up on Andrew's movie business. I think he's been to a, uh, a movie distributors um, conference, so we'll hear a little bit about what he's doing there too. But Andrew, I, I guess I really wanted to tackle the nine up front at first and uh, get your thoughts about what they're up to next year. Is that okay with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, of course, the, the, the big challenge Nine has, of, if they've got ideas for new shows, is where to, where to fit them in because they've had a really very strong 2017. The year's not over yet, but uh, Nine's done fantastically well. They're up in all their uh, demos on last year and they only really had one dog this year, which I think was, uh, was it Last Resort? The Last Resort was their only dog and I, I would say that Seven have overtaken them with two dogs, namely Yummy Mummies and Cannonball. So they can feel good about that dog. It's not going to end up uh, as the worst show of the year. Yeah, and I think a Nine's position to win the year all people for the first time in close to a decade, which is pretty amazing. Of course, Nine says they don't really care about that. They're, they just want to focus on the key demos. But um, a Seven has proven you can make a lot of money if you're first in uh, all people, and uh, hopefully Nine will be wanting to do that as they go forward. Yeah, yeah, really well. Um, I mean, James, the, the last resort didn't work for them, but they're not shying away from more dating shows, are they? <laughs> no, no, they've made a special commission. In fact, it's going to be on. Um, it's going to be on Go next year, isn't it? They're going to do a local version of Love Island. Um, did, were you across much of that? How successful it was in the UK this year? Yeah, I mean, you, you can't uh, avoid seeing stuff written about it in the British. Uh, press, you know, uh, Bachelor in Paradise seems to be the American format that uh, is winning, but in the UK, it's all about Love Island, and uh, well, that title just says it all, really, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's good to see, I guess, that somebody's going to commission. I think they're going to spend a fair bit of money on it to to do a program for Nine Go, which there there hasn't been a lot of today. There's been a bit of um, some sort of ob docs have been made for some of the um, the multi channels, as we call them, but certainly no big ticket items so far. Look, the the digital channels really aren't really excelling in in anything, and this show just so fits the demographic of Go, I think it's a really good fit. And it takes that really trashy content and doesn't sort of pollute the Major 9 brand. It, it sort of fits better on Go in a way for me. Yeah, and they're actually going to take the... Um, I think they're contestants, aren't they? They're going to take them to Spain to film this this series. So that um, that's sort of a good love destination for young people. So it, it could be a bit of fun. Yeah, yeah, some sort of Spanish beach resort. It's got to be somewhere where, you know, there's a pool and uh, they've got to take them at the hottest time of the year so the cast spend the <laughs> entire show in bikinis. That's what it's about. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's going to be mandatory. The The English one was pretty saucy. I'd be interesting to see if they um, if they go down that same track with the uh, with the Aussie one. 
Look, uh, yeah, the, the British really sort of excel at uh, doing these sort of racy reality shows. And the one that's a big hit over there at the moment, which I'm really got my fingers crossed someone in Australia will pick it up. It's, have you seen it? It's called Bromans. It's uh, bros doing the Roman gladiator thing while the oh, girlfriends okay. sort of do Roman slave duties. What a great concept. Um, and I hope some Aussie networks is sniffing around that because, uh, yeah, the, the, the Brits are really good at doing these exceedingly trashy shows um, and it, it sort of works from them and, and we're starting to copy them more and more, I notice. Sure, sure. Well, let's um, we'll go through this uh, nine up front. I might start with the the new programs and talk about the returning. Um, the biggest new commission, I guess, was from uh, Playmaker Media, which they're calling the crime thriller Bite Club. It's already in production now. It's going to star uh, Todd Lasance, um, Ash Ricardo, Robert Mamone. I think it is Mamone. Yeah, and, Robert uh, Mamone. Yep. Uh, Deborah Mailman, um, so a, a lot of names there. Pia Miller, a lot of people we're familiar with. Um, uh, playmaker dramas, uh, House Husbands and Love Child not returning. So I guess Playmaker's fortunate that they're the, they're the person who's picking up this new drama for nine. Yeah, and it's look, I'm, I'm a little bit confused about the title and why it's about shark attack survivors. You know, I hope we're not, you know, veering into, veering into Sharknado territory here or even Shark's Paradise, which was, you know, a 1980s telly movie we did really badly, which was our version of Miami Vice with robotic sharks eating people on the Gold Coast. I hope it isn't going to be silly like that, but I'm yet to see a proper synopsis that explains why the sharks are in the title and the, you know, the DNA of the show. Yeah, all, all I've got that they gave out at the upfront was after surviving a shark attack, two detectives join forces to hunt the ultimate predator, the serial killer who is also hunting them. Oh, so, 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 oh, so it's a serial killer show, not a shark show. Okay, phew. I saw a yeah. bit of relief there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there's that, certainly that pun in the title that keeps you wondering. It, it might even make you think it's something to do with a um, vampire too, wouldn't it? You know? Well, this is the thing. That word bite sort of, you know, leads you to think it's a little bit supernatural or a little bit, you know, and, you know, crime drama called Bite Club. It, yeah, it's it's a funny title and a funny sneak peek, so to, so to speak. But it's a good cast, so I hope uh, they keep it together well. Yep, sure, sure. Now, the two other new shows, major commissions, aren't really new. They've, they've both been around before. Uh, Talking About Your Generation, of course, was previously on the 10 Network, hosted by, uh, by Sean McAuliffe. They're the sort of only um, things that are, that are coming from 10 is the format and the host because they've got some new team leaders across each of the new teams. Uh, Gen X is going to be looked after by Robin Butler, Gen Y by Andy Lee, and uh, Gen Z or Generation Z by Lawrence Boxall. What do you think about this one coming back? Well, you know, James, the, uh, the baby boomers have been retired and I asked Amanda Keller, oh, did, should we take a little bit of offence in that? And she actually revealed that, you know, one of the problems they had with the baby boomer category on the original Channel 10 series was that they ran out of baby boomers that could actually be on the team with her. 
So she's not offended. She understands why they've taken the show um, a little bit younger. The good news is that Sean McAuliffe is still the host. Um, and if you haven't noticed, Sean McAuliffe has joined Twitter uh, ever so recently. I guess he's been uh, contractually obligated to promote the XPM, which is starting on the ABC very soon. But he's on Twitter. And as you can imagine, the stuff he's doing is just so completely out there and random. It's hilarious. Uh, So as long as he's at the helm of this show, I feel pretty good about it moving to nine. He's certainly the uh, host in uh, big demand, isn't he? Um, Mad as hell had a really good year for ABC TV. I think it was close to the highest rating show many of the weeks it was was on um, this year. I think it was season seven, um, so it's been going a little while. Of course, you said his, um, his sitcom is also coming back, and then he's got this uh, big uh, big job at nine, and I think they're also filming that at the moment. Yeah, good on him. I mean, he's, he's one of our greatest talents, and... You know, this year, Mad as Hell was just, he had such great material to work with and um, he really brought it this year and uh, it was great. I I almost don't want to delete it from my, you know, fetch IQ there. I see it there and I think, I really don't. Am I ever going to find time to watch that again? But I just think, no, no, no. Some of those episodes were so brilliant. I'll just keep it there for a little bit longer. One night I might need a laugh. Sure, sure. I don't know a lot about Lawrence Boxall, who's um, going to be looking after Generation Z. Do you know much about him? No idea. I would have. But then, did we really know much about Josh Thomas when he was the the youngest guy and talking about your generation? Hopefully, the producers like Josh Thomas have found a comedian that's uh, really smart who's going to have something to say. Yeah, yeah. He's a young guy. I think he's about twenty-one. Um, he's um, he's TV work was, I think, the the worst year of my life. A dot 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 again. Uh, it was in that. I think he had a role in uh, Deadline Gallipoli, and he had a little bit of part in uh, Ronnie Cheng International Student. So he, he's done a fair bit of work, but it'd be um, in, but he looks the part. He looks like a teenager. So he, um, I, I, but I, and I really like a- Andy Lee's obviously going to bring a big audience with him. So it's very very clever giving him that. Gig and I think Robin Butler. A lot of people will tune in to see Robin Butler too. I think I love Robin Butler, and you know the stuff that those uh, little sitcoms that she and her husband Wayne Hope have been making for the ABC. Very small business, I think, coming back for a brand new series after several years break. And uh, you know, I hear lots of fantastic things about Little Lunch that they make for ABC Kids. Lots of people are. talking about that, especially with all this talk at the moment about children's television being cut. You know, the, you know, Little Lunch is often uh, described as, you know, one of the, the best examples of having a quota in that department. Sure. And I, I think a lot of uh, big people like watching that show too, don't they? <laughs> yeah. It's got, I've, I know a couple of families that sit down to watch it together and there's a, there's a lot for adults that, get, that they get out of it as well. Yeah, good, good work. Uh, Underbelly Files Chopper is the other sort of, as the new um, project. Of course, everybody knows Underbelly. Hasn't been on for quite a while. That crime, that sort of real crime uh, dramatisations, people got a little bit sick of it, I think, because they really milked it um, probably about a decade ago. It was just, I mean, it was very popular, but there was just so much of it around. Nine have given it a rest, and they think it's maybe time to bring it back, Andrew. Yeah, well, good luck with that, James. You know, the the original Underbelly was so original and in your face and really changed Australian drama, and then they just 
kept doing sequels until they drove it into the ground, way past its uh, welcome. Uh, look, Underbelly Chopper, uh, Aaron Jeffries, good casting. Uh, he's turned into a terrific actor. The older he gets, the better he gets. But is he ever going to be memorable as Eric Banner in that movie? Hmm, big ask. But, look, it's... <sighs> I'm not convinced that this is uh, something that I really want to watch. I do think, however, it will probably rate for nine. And, I mean, everyone's feeling a little bit nervous about um, Aussie drama at the moment. So if this is what they need to do to get something on air and hope that it works, uh, you know, fingers crossed it's a good uh, script and that, uh, like every underbelly instalment, Chopper meets a lot of, and does a lot of his business in uh, women's strip bars. That's that's basically what the audience will expect, and I'm pretty sure it's what they'll get. Yeah, look, it, it is a good cast. Uh, Michael Cate and Todd LaSance is also in this, as well as Bite Club. Um, Zoe Ventura plays Chopper's first wife, and uh, some people from the original... Some people from the original Underbelly are reprising their roles, including uh, Vince Colosimo as Alf- Alphonse uh, Gangitano, Kevin Harrington as Lewis Moran, and Deborah Byrne cropping up as Judy Moran, who I thought she did a great job. So it'd be interesting to see the- them again. And remember, it's only a two-part mini, so there's not going to be a lot of it. Oh, is it only two parts, Jim? I had no idea. I thought it was going to be one of those 13-part uh, Underbellies that goes on forever. Oh, that changes everything. Yeah, so I think it's only two episodes and being made by screen time again. So, Right, okay, that's very interesting, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, we, we might talk about this later, but maybe we could knock it off now. After the uh, audience for the wake in fright, though, over the last couple of weeks, I'm really worried about the genre of sort of, you know... Um, miniseries, a drama miniseries on TV. The audiences just aren't responding, are they? They're not responding. But, you know, I I think we can blame the miniseries that are being made as to why the audience is not responding. Um, Wake in Fright was really, really bad. Um, They they changed the original so much to update it, they completely lost the point of what the original novel novel and film was about. Um, People who had no idea what the story was about were on Twitter saying, uh, the Sean Kinane character is an idiot. Why is he so stupid? I don't want to watch a show with such a stupid character. And the reason his character was so stupid was because they were trying to drag it out into a two-night miniseries when it didn't need to be a two-night miniseries. You know, so Wake and Fright has flopped. Um, Hoag's flopped, and that didn't, that didn't work because they got the casting wrong of Josh Lawson. And uh, The Last Underbelly didn't work because they went back to a story that they'd already done before and people were sick of it. So I think if you actually look at all the ones that have failed recently, Brock failed and people went, there you go, the biopic's over. But Brock failed because one of the major things they couldn't get for that was the original race footage because, you know, the other network wouldn't let them have it. So I think there's always a reason as to why these recent miniseries haven't worked. When you think back at the ones that did work, um, I just think it's because networks and producers are too scared to try something different. Everyone's looking for brand recognition here. Whether or not it's a franchise like Underbelly that tells people what it is, whether or not it's a biopic where people recognise the subject matter, whether or not it's a remake where they think that there's some recognition in the title. What I think they need to do is go back to the drawing board and look at 
original stories and doing original miniseries and not just looking at the success of House of Hancock and saying, oh, yeah, how can we do this again? I know. Let's do Alan Bond, the House of Bond. Audiences aren't stupid. They know when networks are being lazy and when they're dishing up uh, something that's substandard. That's my call on it anyway. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. Your sort of common sense tells you if somebody gets it right, the audiences are still there. I mean, they have no problem finding big audiences for Game of Thrones or big audiences for a show like Ninja Warrior where it hits a chord. Do you, do you think a lot of the drama is too safe? Uh, no, I wouldn't say safe is the word, but, you know, I, I, I certainly think that, you know, network drama could push the boundaries a little bit more. I think free-to-air network dramas keep things fairly safe. But you go over to Foxtel and look at shows like Wentworth and A Place to Call Home, and within the constructs of those shows, they push the boundaries in ways that a lot of free-to-air networks don't do because free-to-air networks are trying to play it safe to appeal to the biggest crowd possible, and they don't want to offend anybody. Um, And sometimes I think, you know... Why not go a little bit harder? And if it works in the drama, the audience will accept it. And if it's good, people will talk about it. But if it's rubbish, uh, the word uh, spreads very quickly. Yeah, yeah. I just think they need to maybe push the envelope a little bit more. And as you say, get that word of mouth up and people saying, oh, wow, did you see that? You know, it doesn't even have to be a good review. It's just, wow, did did you see that? You know, it might be they, they didn't like it, but at least it will get the talkability up. Yeah. Um, some of the other yeah 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 absolutely some of the other stuff at nine is um is is sort of uh unscripted stuff if you like a bit of um things like buying blind which is which to me sounds pretty interesting it's it's like a real estate show but a couple has to give all their money to the uh, experts and they go and buy a house for them and renovate it with without them getting a say in it um Date night is another sort of, um, well, it sort of says it on. I don't know how that'll go. It's uh, a fun-filled, uh, what does it call it, fun-filled dating show. I'm just not, I'm not sure there's room for another one of those. What do you think? Well, that sounds like First Dates Australia, but the, the, is this the one where the families pick the suit yeah. for their, yeah. oh, God, could you imagine? Could you imagine your mother and father, brother or sister picking who you should date? That's got disaster written all over it. To change the show to disaster night. Like, I wouldn't want to go on a blind date that anyone in my family picked. But, look, it might make for good TV, and that's the point. Yeah, I've got a feeling there was something in the past. I can't remember what it was, where the family was involved, though. It just it just rings a bell. That, yeah, um, it was a seven show, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Didn't they do that and have the family involved in sort of choosing partners? Or no, choosing wasn't, weren't something? they already a couple, but the parents were planning the wedding? Wasn't was that it? They were planning the wedding, was it? Okay. Yeah, the parents planned the wedding, and of course, then the the bride and groom had to go along with whatever they, whatever had been arranged for them. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, maybe this one is a bit better when they get to choose the partner. There might be a bit more, a uh, bit more fun in that. Uh, driving test is another one, a uh, factual show that goes behind the scenes of people learning how to drive. Now, this one's going to be set in Darwin, of all places, uh, where the driving test, the only place in Australia where the driving test must be recorded. So they meet people from all walks of life as they're unleashed on the streets of Darwin. So um, could be interesting. But then again, I think there's, you know, well, how far can you go with that? 
Yeah, and uh, Darwin's a, politi- a pretty multicultural place there, so I hope that doesn't turn into the new Border Force. I don't know whether you notice on Gogglebox, everyone who watches Border Force goes, this is the most racist show on TV. You watch. They'll pull over that Asian. So I'm pretty sure, uh, you know, I hope we don't have too many Asians that can't drive on driving tests. I'm just putting it out there. Be careful. Don't make this uh, kind of uh, falling into cliche territory. Sure, yep, yep. Uh, eat well for less. I mean, that, that, that previous show's from Screen Time. Screen Time has got a lot of new commissions from, um, from Nine as well as that, um, uh, what was it, as well as Underbelly Files Chopper. They've also got that date nights from Screen Time, driving tests from Screen Time, and then this next one, it's, uh, it's only a two-parter. It's called Eat Well for Less, which uh, promises to offer entertaining and practical ways to eat better and save money while you're at it. it. almost sounds more like a segment on that current affair, doesn't it? I was just going to say, that sounds like something on the Today Show. That's a series and it's only two parts. Why are they bothering? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. So maybe it'll be a bit of a test. If they get some good response, they might think of ways they, they could uh, bring it back quickly or drag it out to a few more few more episodes. But that's about really all the new stuff. Now, there's so little new stuff because you know, the big shows are returning. So I'll get your thoughts on some of these and how well they went this year and if they need to tweak it much, Andrew. Start start with the obvious one, Australian Ninja Warrior. Uh, we think they might do another three episodes this year, so it'd be push it out to four weeks over three nights, give them a total of 12 eps. What do you think about that? Yep. I'm reading that, uh, you know, many of the contestants who competed last year will be back um, and that'll be great. Won't that make it easy for Nine to promote it, you know? Sure. You know, here comes Jack and his budgie smugglers again having another go. Like, there'll be that audience recognition. It'll, it'll make for such a dream campaign in the lead-up to it. And, look, it was such a great show this year. I would call Australian Ninja Warrior the surprise package of the year. I thought it'd be good. I thought it would work. But then when I watched it, it was just such a feel good show like and and you know they spent some money on it and i think when we you compare it to cannonball you see what it what how much it helps to do the show in an amazing location like cockatoo island with those incredible sandstone cliffs that the set was set up against shooting it at night with great lighting to make it look more of an event rather than the harsh light of day. It was just, it ticked every box that show and uh, they really don't need to change a lot for 2018. Uh, Sensational TV and uh, can't wait to see more. Yeah, yep, yeah, that I'm sure that'll do very well last year. Look, just to remind, they had, I think, 8,000 people actually wanted to be on the show. They, the... Um, the uh, casting people had to narrow it down to 300 uh, contestants. And, yeah, as you say, look, I, I bet most of them will want to come back. And as at Mount Midoriyama, I think they uh, call it, no-one actually conquered that. It took them a, lo- it took them a long time to get up but uh, in the US, and I've got a feeling no-one will probably do it next year, but it'd be just the fascination will be to see how close they get. It would... It would um it would be wise of them to think about something, maybe a consolation prize to give to the person who, you know, because if you don't, you know, the, the only negative that came out of that show was that people said there wasn't an ending because there wasn't a winner. Um, yeah. Couldn't we give some sort of consolation prize to the person who comes close enough, you know, and kind of award them at the end? You didn't quite become Australian Ninja Warrior, but you were the closest to it. Just something so that the show ends on a bit more of a high. 
Yeah, I think we spoke at the time, didn't we, that there was that little bit of an empty feeling when you got to the uh, that final episode in the end and just said, OK, no one made it. Uh, we'll see you next year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, married at First Sight. Look, the show started the year off wonderfully for nine. Did very well up against My Kitchen Rules. That's going to be back next year. And I've got a feeling they probably... There's not too much they need to change about that, is there? Well, look, um, it's... I think it's probably time. It's uh, look, it's a, it's a well-made piece of television. The audience was certainly fascinated in it at the start of the year, but I think it's probably time for Nine to stop saying that it's a social experiment and uh, they're really trying to get people to marry and be happy ever after. I mean, well, you know, we all sort of realise now that if you're going to do supersize that show and screen it for that long, that. Uh, you know, they're now casting for drama rather than love. So um, maybe not use the word social experiment so much and just do it for what it is. Uh, we've put these pe- people together. We're marrying them at first sight and sit back. Uh, fireworks will soon follow. Yeah. yeah well, look, uh, Nine's not listening to you because they're calling it a groundbreaking social experiment in the, the first line of the copy for the new season. Oh, God, Okay. <laughs> Um, the block, of course, will be back, and gee whiz, hasn't that done really well this year? It's the uh, the best uh, block for at least three years. I think it might be by the time this one finishes, it might outdo a couple of others before that as well. But the audiences have just been going off. It's been over 1.5 million metro on. I think uh, virtually the I think four of the last five Sunday nights that it's been on air. So just fantastic numbers this year. Yeah, amazing numbers and. Um you know, it's just they just need to keep doing what they're doing there. I mean, we sit here and say, oh, they need to move it from Melbourne and all of this stuff. But, look, the audience comes back for it every year. And, I mean, it's annihilating everything on TV at the moment, isn't it? Nothing's coming close to it. It's just so far out in front. Um, we've really got to say congratulations to them. Uh, they've, uh, they've brought it yet again. Yep, yep, and um, I think Seven really has got to have a crack next year, though, haven't they? They can't give Nine all this um, this free air, if you like, so they'll be really scratching around looking for a format they think they could that might sort of resonate with at least some of the, the block viewers and, and pull some of them away. Because I think it's done really well in particular because there hasn't been a lot on, particularly on Seven, that could sort of, you know, drag the audience away this year. No, you're right. Sevens are without the kind of a, an X Factor or a Got Talent, they're really lacking in a format for this, you know, bottom part of the year, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And one of the uh, programs that hasn't, hasn't been on yet, but it's not far away, Family Food Fight. It's, you know, it's, um, Nine's really very confident that could do well. Again, it won't be up against a hell of a lot, so it could sort of get a foothold this year. I'm seeing lots of promos for it on TV, particularly with... Uh, uh, the what look like the Muslim ladies, um, lots and lots of promos. And you know what? It's been a few few weeks, maybe a few months since MasterChef ended. So there's kind of been a dearth of cooking shows. That there might just be enough people around to uh, try this out. They're certainly going to know what the show's about with all those promos running through the block. You can't miss it. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I'm, I, I quite like Matt Moran on TV. So you know, he he could be uh, an attractive uh, addition to the to the format that uh, might help it work well. Um, and uh, if Nine get this one away, it'll just cap off the year uh, fantastically for them. Yeah, yeah, won't it just? 
uh, we'll find. So that's pretty much the nine up front. That's all the sort of the critical stuff from it. Um, might have missed a couple of things, but that's all the big ticket stuff. The, so who comes next, James? Is it seven next or ten? Yeah, seven doing an interesting up front this year. It's actually going to be in Melbourne. So they're taking all the people that they think should be there for their Sydney up front down to Melbourne. Um, it's going to be on the day of the Rugby League World Cup starts, which is a Friday week, the last Friday in October. Uh, they'll have their upfront in the afternoon, then they're going to take everybody along to the first match of the Rugby League World Cup, which is, wow. which is Australia versus England, which is one of the biggest games, the most anticipated matches of the whole tournament. So it's a, it's a bit of a coup for Seven, and they've obviously um, realised how critical this upfront is for them. I spoke to a couple of big media buyers after the Nine upfront to sort of gauge how well they think Nine's going get some thoughts off them about seven. They didn't really want to say anything about seven and sort of the challenges they've faced, certainly in the second half of the year, until they get to see what seven's offering at their upfront, so they're not going to have to wait long to find out. Yeah, interesting. And then ten... 10 have uh, scheduled their upfront for early in November. They're pretty confident the ownership um, will be sorted out. CBS should be in control, they think, by I think it's about the 9th of... Um it's a Thursday night early in November. I think it might be the 9th. So they're going to unveil some of their stuff there. Hopefully we might get to hear from somebody at CBS with a little detail about what their plans for the network are. And then SBS is going to be a little bit later in November. James, can we talk about uh, Channel 10 losing all their Fox shows? I mean, I don't know. I'm sitting here in a small country town looking between the lines and looking like... Uh, you know, the Murdochs have decided to kick 10 while they're down because they didn't get to buy the network. So they've just said to the boys, OK, take MASH, The Simpsons, all those shows they've had forever, take them off them. This is their punishment for not letting us buy the network. I mean, am I wrong here? It, it, it seems like a dog act to an outsider like me. Am I missing something? Well, yeah, I think you're sort of maybe overreacting a little bit because those shows weren't really key and they haven't been key for a long time. As somebody reminded me last week, there hasn't been a new or hasn't been an episode of The Simpsons on Network 10 apparently since 2014. No, uh, because they moved it to 11. Well, yeah, but they, they moved it because it wasn't doing that well on the on the main channel, just the same reason, you know, Neighbours is over on one of the multis. If there was, if they thought there was a big enough audience, I'm pretty sure they'd they'd have it back on the primary channel, quick, smart. And uh, similarly, Modern Family just hasn't really been working for a long time at all, both either as repeats or new episodes. Um, it was working a little bit better than its replacement, the Sunday edition of the project, but gee whiz, not much better. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, uh, the networks in America say, you know what, cancel that deal with the Australian network. The shows aren't really working. I'm sure we could find a channel where it'll, they'll work better. It doesn't really work like that, does it, James? I mean, isn't it a coincidence that now Fox go, oh, we can't reach a deal on these shows? And I know you've been screening MASH since the early 70s, but you're not going to screen it anymore. Like, whoa, really? Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't rule out the chance of any further series coming back, because I think um, Fox will be realistic about it and realise, okay, well, we've we've 
if we want to make money in Australia, we're going to have to deal with CBS. So, you know, I think they'll probably get around the table when, uh, when the time is due and, and, and talk about it. I mean, I, I, re- I really feel sorry for Ten. You know that you know that Australian Survivor hasn't really worked. They have, you know, they haven't really had, um, apart from Gogglebox that goes through the roof. You know that they're, they're really struggling at the moment. And to then sort of say, oh, and by the way, all your 20th Century Fox shows, we're pulling those too. Like, well, talk about kicking someone when they're down. Yeah, but again, I, I just don't think it's a it's much of a loss. For, for the network, so if, if they thought that's kicking them while they're down, I just don't know if it's going to be successful. Yeah, well, you're. At, I, I hear what you're saying. You're absolutely right. None of those shows were kind of crucial Critical. to yeah. sort of success there. But you know, you've got a, a network that doesn't have that many shows, and are now scrambling around the the cupboards, sticking bull on at seven thirty on a Sunday night because they don't know what else to put there. Yeah, yeah, correct. And I'm I'm not suggesting that there's anything wrong with uh, The Simpsons or Modern Family, um, although they're, look, they're both maybe a little bit tired uh, and not as dynamic as they once were, but they're still both, you know, important properties and I think there, you know, there is still a following for them. And I think if they had a bit of promotional money and maybe better time slots behind them, the, the audience would be much bigger for them in Australia. Yeah, well, we've talked before about how Ten really stuffed up Modern Family, you know, threw it all around the schedule every night of the week, mixing in repeats with new episodes. They just took away what made that show so special. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think we, we'd certainly both agree on that, that there was, um, it, uh, it, it should be, uh, they should, should be doing well and with a little bit of um, careful uh, curation that those, um, those programs could have been doing better. I'm, uh, I'm just forgetting, what's the uh, name of that drama that was doing not too bad for them on Wednesday nights? Sorry? This Is Us. That's right, This Is Us. Yeah, that's, that's probably the one show that might hurt if they can't get that yeah. back because it was doing quite well. But then again, yeah. we're not talking, you know, sort of um, massive numbers, but it was doing maybe, you know, 400,000, 500 on a good night and it was a really good series too. Yeah, it was a great series. It got a lot of Emmy nominations. It's, you know, there's a buzz about it. A lot of people talk about it. So, yeah, it, that's a bit of a loss to lose that one because it's only in Series 2 and it's still hot, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Look, let's uh, put the uh, microscope over Seven for a moment. They certainly seem to be sort of trying to uh, regenerate the schedule, particularly this week with a lot of new programs. I think they've got new shows at at 7.30 virtually every night this week. That's helped by the Michael Hutchins doco, The Last Rockstar, of course, which goes out on Tuesday, uh, Monday and Tuesday night. Look, I won't get you to predict too much about this, but because before anybody really gets to hear this, we'll know the ratings for the first episodes. But what's your thoughts about that going out at uh, 7.30 at night over two nights? You know, I was super excited about watching it and until I read today that uh, in excess uh, original band members weren't even approached to be a part of it, that their participation in the show is via archival interviews. Um, it seems weird that you wouldn't even ask them if they wanted to be... Uh, part of it. But I do note that uh, one of the things I noticed at the movie convention is that uh, there is a documentary about 
in excess call about Michael Hutchins called Mystify that's coming from Richard Lowenstein next year for Mad Men and it'll be released in cinemas and of course Richard Lowenstein director of Australian films like Dog, Dogs in Space and He Died with a Falafel also did all of those really iconic in excess film clips in the 80s so he was a big uh uh, he knew the band intimately. He cast Michael Hutchins as the lead in Dogs in Space, so he knows where he's talking about. And maybe it is that uh, In Excess are uh, more inclined to participate in that documentary than the Seven News one, which airs tonight. Did they have any footage or any trailer or anything yet for that, um, no. that Lowenstein project? No footage. No footage, but it was there, uh, there on their list when they talked about 2018. It was, it's, it's still on their slate to be released next year. Yeah. I'm just wondering that statement today from it was, I think, as Universal Petrol Records and, uh, and the band members themselves. Do you think they might have been anticipating any audience backlash at all if it um, paints Hutchins too negatively maybe so that would help distance them from it? Well, that's a, a very interesting... Uh, very interesting to think about that, but you know, there's the the problem is that nobody's seen part two. Um, the, all the critics who've seen part one write things like, uh, "Wow, the footage of Michael with daughter Tiger Lily will break your heart." You see this other side of him. There's nothing really so far in part one that would that any what that people have seen that would indicate that there's going to be any uh, anything untoward going on. But then, of course, we don't know what's coming in part two and seven are promising some big shock revelation. Uh, maybe if the band members know what that's going to be, that could fall into that theory. Um, but, you know, based on what's been said about part one, it, it seems like it's a very nice look at uh, his life and, uh, you know, is going to make people like him. Yeah, that, that's what I thought. I mean, I, I wouldn't expect any uh, backlash. Um, it'd have to be uh, pretty bad for, for people to sort of, um, you know, take it out on, on in excess or something. Yeah. Um, also this week from Seven, they're, they're running that grand tour, that Amazon sort of series featuring the former hosts of Top Gear, um, Clarkson, Hammond and May. That's going to screen at 7.30s on Wednesday. So it'd be... Um, Look, it's hard to imagine that doing huge numbers. But, um, I think a lot of people possibly saw. And yet, there's I, I wouldn't I wouldn't think that there's that many people that have seen it on Amazon. It you know I don't hear anybody talking about the shows they watch on Amazon TV. It's still very much a kind of a a bit player compared to your Netflix and your Stan. So yeah, but if you re we remember how Top Gear did on Nine, it, it started off so well and then it uh, wasn't so special anymore. So yeah. I, I would question how many people are, you know, can't wait to see the Grand Tour with those Top Gear guys doing their new show for Amazon. But I would also say, James, that I don't think a lot of Australians have seen it yet. No, yeah, yeah, and no, I'd agree with you. I think the people who subscribe to Amazon uh, Prime Video, the, the numbers would be pretty small. If it had been huge, I think we would have heard about it a bit more. There would have been a bit of publicity. I don't expect they'd ever released real numbers, but they, they would have talked about, you know, what a runaway success it, it had been in Australia. We certainly haven't heard any of that. I think a lot of people will be curious about the show, and that might punch up the numbers for the first one or two. A couple of those early episodes were very uneven. One of them was really just... It was hard to watch. They got their act together a little bit as the series produced, and I quite like some of the um, the work a little bit further into it. But uh, I think at its peak, it was nearly doing 
Um, 900,000 or a million for SBS at 7.30 on Monday. So there are people out there who who are familiar with the sort of format of Top Gear and it's not a lot different to uh, the Grand Tour. It's certainly not identical. So there, there could be some people who really want to want to sample it for the, at least this week. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, the good doctor is coming. That um, Seven are calling that the... The hit, um, the hit drama series from the new season of, of US TV shows. Um, the critics... Well, it is a hit. It's Sorry, the highest rating new drama of the US TV season. Yeah, yeah. well, the, the critics certainly have been a little bit mixed, but the audience, the audience have, have really voted in favour of it. Yeah, because it's from the same people that make House... And a lot of the crits I've said is it's kind of the same show, but the Doctor's a little bit younger, and he's played by the guy whose name escapes me at the moment, who was uh, took over the Nor the Norman Bates character in Bates Motel. Freddie Highmore. Uh, that's his name. Yeah. Um, you know, wow, who knew? I mean, on paper, the Good Doctor goes, oh God, that just sounds like another boring US medical show, but um, the audiences are founded over there. Yep, absolutely. Look, he's um, he was the one of the, he wasn't the lead, but he was one of the leads in that uh, close to the enemy. The um, I think it was a BBC drama on. I was certainly on BBC First here. It might have even been earlier this year or late last year, but it was it was probably one of my best uh, series of the year. It was uh, it was oh, wow. it was uh, really interesting. He played a character called Victor, I think, from memory, sort of a, a slight uh, a troubled um, a troubled young man uh, trying to find his 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 way in the world. But um, it was a great little series. I'm not sure if it's still on the on Foxtel's. Uh, on-demand platform, but it'd be well worth uh, searching out if people are interested in in seeing a bit more of uh, Freddie Highmore. He's um he's been a, he was sort of a was he a child star in a lot of movies? I think he had a role in um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. He was in Finding Neverland. I think was his big break. Remember okay, that? Where, yes. uh, yep. Yeah, Johnny Depp and Kate Winslet. That was kind of where I first, certainly first remember seeing him. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's um. Yeah, I think a lot of people will see him and go, oh, that guy. So it um, yeah. be interesting to see how that drama goes. If it, um, we, This could be the start of the renaissance of, uh, of some uh, US dramas, perhaps, in the primetime schedule. Well, fingers crossed. I, I don't think Seven have still released the actual detail of when it's on but 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 i think that's that's part of the problem of network tv though they'll go out and try and drum up interest in a program but they'll stop short of telling you exactly when it's on thinking you'll 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 hang around and you know come back and find out later on i think you've got to deliver the whole package all at once and tell people okay this is the most successful drama and this is when you're going to see it i just don't think they like getting mucked around no, I know. And, you know, we live in such an instantaneous news world now where, you know, if you follow any sort of uh, entertainment website, you know about The Good Doctor and you know it's successful and it is all over Entertainment Tonight and stuff. So why not rush it to air um, while it's hot and the number one show? It may not stay the number one show forever. You only need one more mid-season replacement to come along and they won't be able to use that tag anymore. So get it on air now. Yeah, and at least tell the people, okay, it's going to be 8.30 Wednesdays or, or whenever you're going to do it and just try and 
just get that ingrained in the memory because um, telling us just before it goes to air, it could be too late, you know. People are busy. You, you want to get them thinking, okay, I've got to set aside this time to watch it. Um, now, Seth, yeah, Seth yeah. The, the, the album chart was interesting this week because uh, Jessica Malboy, I think she's at number two with um, The Secret Daughter, the, the songs from the second season, but Seven still haven't given us a time when this is going to be on. They're still saying it's coming this year, but with seven weeks of survey left, they're going to have to get it on air pretty quickly. Wonder how many episodes there are because you know they could always do a few double episodes, couldn't they? Yeah, I guess so. But it just seems to me a bit of a waste when you do double episodes because nobody ever watches both of them. I mean, some people do, but but not as many watch the second one as watch the first. No, they don't. And I and I always think when I see a double episode of an Australian drama, I think, uh oh, it's you know that doesn't it never bodes well for me. Yeah, no, absolutely, it doesn't, that's for sure. Now, from from memory, you weren't a big fan of the first season? No, I thought it was really naff, and uh, I, I, I look forward to see where it's going to go in Series 2. Um, I hope they've got some story there because uh, they can't do the same, you know, they pretty much finished the story of Season 1. I lost track of whether or not she turned out to be his daughter or not, Um but, uh, yeah, it was, oh, God, it felt like a rushed concept to me, something thrown together to showcase the talents of Jessica Malboy. And she is talented and she's a good actress and she's a great singer, but I really think the material let her down there and uh, I hope there's something there for series two, but I get this awful feeling it's going to go the way of, like, a, you know, the wrong girl, just kind of sputter around without much more story except rehashing the premise of season one. Yeah, look, the, the wrong girl certainly hasn't been doing very well. Started Thursdays, went to Wednesdays. Um, you could be pretty sure that won't be commissioned again, I wouldn't have thought, for a third season. I'm pretty sure there was six episodes of uh, The Secret Daughter last year, so which would mean if they get it on air next week, uh, they'll be, they'll yeah. it'll just uh, time out nicely for the... Um, well, it's not in the schedule for next week. I've just gone through the TV week and it, it's not there. Okay. Um, all that's there on the, the cover is Home and Away Deadly Explosion, James. Yet another one. How many bombs have gone off in Summer Bay? Jesus Christ. Um, and amazingly, uh, it's so spectacular. Uh, TV week have devoted 12 pages to Home and Away. And yes, my favourite person, Brax, is back on the cover. Brax, greatest moments yet again in TV Week from the magazine that cannot let him go. So uh, but not a word about Jessica Malboy and the secret daughter, certainly not for next week. Okay, does that mean that um, Brax is in one of those episodes? No. No, it's just TV Week finding any ridiculous reason to put him in that magazine and stick him on the cover. I mean, move on. He left the show. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's weird, isn't it? You would have thought, um, yeah, you would have thought there'd be some connection. Maybe they talk about it. Uh, well, yeah. Look, maybe. Uh, apparently, there's yeah, there, there's a, yet another explosion there, and it says deadly explosion. But you mark my words, no one will die. It's four major characters going on some house into the bush. Uh, they say deadly explosion. I bet you nobody dies. It'll be a not deadly explosion, but I bet it'll look good. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, we should give a little shout-out to uh, Thomas Woodgate, who's the new editor of uh, of, um, of TV Week. I'm not, I'm not sure whether this was his first edition or not, but, but if it sells lots of... 
lots of copies, Thomas. Um, a good idea, mate, regardless of what uh, Andrew and I might have thought about it. Of course, uh, Emma Nolan's left the magazine after um, many years in the editor's chair there. She's heading off to Who. She's going to be the new editor of uh, Who magazine for Pacific, um, Pacific Magazines. Um, now, look... Yeah, well, good luck to Emma and Thomas, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, because, look, if you don't get your shows right on um, 7, 9 or 10 these days, people will go to Netflix. Netflix, gee whiz, there's still um, still a truckload of content. It seems weekly there's always big new big new programs the, uh, coming to Netflix and they sort of uh, resonate straight away with audiences because as we track them on those charts we run from Parrot Analytics in our morning report every week, there's a new show from Netflix virtually every week that tops those charts. Yeah, yeah, amazing. And they've got a huge show just around the corner, James. In fact, it uh, launches Friday, October the 27th, just in time for Halloween. It's season two of Stranger Things. And that's a much later launch time than they originally did it because if you remember the first series, it launched in the American summer. And uh, I seem to recall Entertainment Weekly saying nobody was talking about a big movie this year because everybody was watching Stranger Things. That was the show that sort of sucked up all the oxygen. So uh, clever to move it to a Halloween-type uh, date because I know there's a lot of Halloween-themed movies coming out at the moment. Horror is uh, super big at the moment. And you know what, James? I've got this theory that one of the reasons that horror is working is that it's it's the one – it's a genre-proof movie. Kids – are sitting at home, streaming, watching a lot of shows on laptop. But I think with horror, they want to go to a cinema. They want to scream with their friends. Horror works uh, in a cinema setting. and uh, But Stranger Things is a, a show that uh, I'm sure will still work very well for Netflix for Halloween. Yeah, look, I'm looking. I loved uh, the first series, and I think anybody who watched it was probably um, fell for that in a big way. It was it was great, and I'm certainly looking forward to the second season. And just quickly on horror too, you you can make it on a on a shoestring budget too. You don't have to spend massive amounts to have a successful horror movie, do you? Yeah, that's right. And and you know what? Every new generation of kids um, hasn't seen the horror that's gone before them. So you can kind of go back and repeat some of the themes that us older audiences go, we've seen that all before. But there's always some new kids out there where, you know, that's uh, that's something new to them. And, James, if you could see the amount of kids I had come through this cinema for it okay. during the school holidays, whoa, I mean, it was phenomenal. <laughs> That's good. Look, a couple of other things from Netflix. Uh, I watched the first episode of Dynasty uh, last night. I think. Have you had time to have a look at this? I, I can't even bring myself to watch it, James. I just think it, it just looks so naff. I don't understand why they've decided to remake the show when the original show is sitting there with the next generation of characters. You could do it. You could do that show with all the offspring of the original Carrington children and bring in Heather Locklear and Joan Collins for a couple of guest roles. I just don't understand why they're remaking it and turning Crystal into a Hispanic. It's just, it makes 
no sense to me. Well, I've got, I've got to tell you, I, I didn't hate it. And I, I sort of, you know, I'm glad I'm not sitting in front of it. She might have a swing at me because, I, I, look, it's bad, it's tacky. But I'm, I just was wondering, and I, and I can't remember, but how was, the, how was um, Dynasty greeted the first time around when it initially started? Was that the reaction of some people, that it was, uh, it was, it was pretty bad? But, but it ended up being a bit of an attraction, didn't it? Well, it only ended up becoming a bit of attraction after Joan Collins joined the cast in Series 2. The first series kind of did not set the world on fire. It was seen as being a rip-off of uh, Dallas, and it was try-hard, and it was also set in the same sort of world, oil. It was only the... you know, it's only that they got the casting right with Joan Collins that they suddenly, the audiences picked up and they went, oh, let's go with this. And uh, it took off in a very different direction. I mean, this new version of Dynasty does say they're going to bring in an Alexis Carrington, but they haven't cast her yet. But, uh, uh, you know, it just, it just feels, I just don't understand why they're doing it because I'm not quite sure that the storylines of the original well, I just don't understand why they're remaking it. Uh, I just think they could have used the same actors and the same situations. They could have made uh, a Hispanic girl wanting to marry the grandson of Blake Carrington. You know, all the storylines they do, oh, you know, we've changed this because, you know, it's, it's sort of a bit like Wake in Fright. They change the sexes of people. They change the sexualities of people, they change the ethnicities of people and they go, oh, look at us, you know, we're doing this new version of the show. And it's like, yeah, but is there a reason to do it or are you just doing that because that's kind of, you know, it it doesn't feel like there's any well-thought-out reasons why they've uh, changed the character of uh, Sammy Joe, as originally played by Heather Locklear, into a man this time round. Why? It, it, it doesn't make it doesn't seem well thought out. Yeah, to me. I mean, there's, there's some of the things I liked. Some of the storylines pretty pretty ridiculous, but that in itself is, can be quite entertaining. I mean, the the sort of uh, love affair um, is it Fallon? I think has with the chauffeur. Yeah, she has with the uh, chauffeur. I'm not sure who that is. Um, Might be Robert Riley. Anyway, but um, that's amazing. I mean, you know, they... (laughs) They pull over in the driveway to the house and have a session while these other cars are driving past them. They, but they don't sort of go out somewhere obscure, you know. It's um, it's it's pretty pretty wild stuff. Um, the interesting thing for Aussies, of course, Alan Dale is um, is um, plays a sort of a, like a, a butler or a, a housekeeper to um, yes, Joseph. Yes, yes, to um, Grant. Grant uh, show plays Blake Carrington, so he works for him. Yeah. Um, he yeah. was a little bit hard to take as a as an older person, but he's certainly qualified because, because um, it's been a long, long time since Melrose Place, hasn't it? He's done Melrose Place, he's done Devious Maids, now he's doing the Dynasty reboot, and this is all very familiar in the original first episode, Sharon was getting it on with the show for under her dad's nose and uh, Joseph was the butler haughtily uh, looking down on them all. So, yeah, it's you know, this, it sounds like they're sticking pretty closely to the original. Yeah. 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 So, anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. The other thing I haven't seen yet but I really want to see is uh, Mindhunter. That's the new series from David Fincher who, of course, was one of the uh, creative uh, people responsible for House of Cards 
Um, it's been getting some great reviews, and our former colleague at um, Media Week, Dan Barrett, who's now over at SBS, he uh, said the other day he thinks this is his best series of the year so far. So I'm really looking forward to see that. Wow. Well, we know that Fincher does true crime so well when you think of Zodiac, the movie, um, and didn't he do Seven with Brad Pitt and Kevin Spacey? Was that mm, Fincher? Yeah, I think you're right. I'm not too good on my movies. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. but, you know, well, David Fincher made one of the greatest films of all time, in my opinion, Fight Club. That's the greatest movie of the 90s for me. Um, Fincher was behind that, so I've all, I've gone to see anything that he does. Yeah, yeah. Look, we, we're nearly out of time this week. Um, I want to run through a couple of other things starting up. Have you had a chance to see any of uh, anything of Sunshine yet, the new, uh, the new yeah, drama? Yeah, I've watched the first episode. Okay. What do you think? Yeah, I've watched the first episode. Um, it's, you know, it's a, a very typical SBS production. They make uh, the type of Aussie drama that nobody else really does. It fulfills their charter. It's very multicultural. They go to something ripped straight from the headlines, which is Sudanese living in West Melbourne. I was reading an article from uh, Anthony LaPaglia today who said that, you know, he, uh, he really hopes that people watch these series, he said, because he thinks, you know, that, like, he's a child of migrants and he said, you know, I grew up in an era where everyone called my family Dagos and Wogs and everyone was suspicious of us and the, the very same thing is happening to the Sudanese now. But, you know, he got heavily involved into the Sudanese community making the show and working with these actors that have never acted before. And he says, you know, there's always um, a couple of bad seeds in every group that the media starts focusing on. And, and he says there are great people and he hopes that... Uh, this series might change people's perceptions of them. But it's a it's a crime drama done in uh, a lot of flashback um, and, uh, you know, it's only four parts and uh, well done for SBS. It's, it's right up there with, like, other shows they've done like this, like The Principal with Alex Dimitriadis, etc. Yeah, look, I'm looking forward to this. I'm, look, I think the ratings are going to be pretty tiny. It, the, these sort of shows don't do big numbers on SBS, but I think this is exactly what SBS should be doing and, you know, and, and promote them hard, you know, as, as hard as they can. So they've got sort of pretty good resources, big online audiences, and they're pushing it hard there. So, it, you know, it hasn't got to do big numbers, but if it does, that's great. But they've, um, they've, they've done well. They seem to have a, a really interesting cast, and it um, seems to be a pretty good premise for, for the series, I think. And, James, I saw a first there. I saw someone on an Australian drama watching a TV show on another network. When the girl was watching the news, it wasn't Lee Lee Chin reading the news bulletin. It was Peter Hitchin and Nine News. I nearly fell off my chair. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, that, a character that doesn't watch the network that's making the drama. That's being very adult, isn't it? Yeah, very. I mean, I just I was watching a bit of US Breakfast uh, TV recently and it was just – it's one of the things that strikes you. I mean, they um, – the NBC could have a big story about um, Modern Family, which is on a different network, you know. It's, um, yes. th they do that sort of yes. stuff all the time. It's, it's what you should yeah, be doing, do, do things that are interesting to your audience. You know? That's right. That's right. The Americans have no qualms at all about um, getting a, an actor from another network if that person's popular. But here in Australia, we really kind of segregate people. Don't you dare go on that other network show. Yeah, yeah and just ignore them, you know. Um, have you seen much of the new Gogglebox? Yes, God, I, I make a point of uh, it's one of the highlights of my week. Um, 
I, in fact, I missed it last week because I was on the road driving. So I made sure I went to the 10 catch-up site and sat here and watched it the other day. Yeah, you know, so, so great. You know, that show is, uh, and I absolutely um, think that uh, the three new people they've got, the, the best friend and the Lebanese guy, they are hilarious. Yeah, yeah, and they're not afraid of sort of, you know, having a crack and being a bit negative and, um, you know, talking a show down if, if they think it's um, it's not their cup of tea, are they? And they make jokes about <laughs> Levos too, which is really funny because there's nothing, there's, you know, you know I, couldn't, I wouldn't go out there and make a joke about it, but, you know, there's nothing funnier than hearing someone who, who is Lebanese able to make a joke and go, oh, you know, my Lebanese mother, oh, she, she, she'd want to marry him. You know, that, it's really funny and it's, it's honest. That's what I sure. like about it. Um, Riviera, I, I, that's another one I haven't caught up with yet. I'm really looking forward to seeing it. I've heard some good things about it and it seems to be doing reasonable numbers on SBS. They've spent a lot of money on it, James. I was really struck watching the first episode. It was like, wow, this is not a cheap show. This was a show made for Sky in the UK, and it's it's lush. It really looks good and uh, a pretty good concept. Anthony Lapali is in that too, but not for very long. No more plots. Oh, more. okay. Okay. All right. I'll look forward to that. Just finally, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about Stan. To me, they, they haven't been sort of – I mean, they get a lot of uh, publicity because of the Nine and Fairfax connections. I mean, that Michelle Doherty show, uh, Good Behaviour. I think it was actually on the cover of a story about it, on the cover of the Sun Herald, which I thought was pretty amazing. Um, on the weekend, um, they get got got a little bit of press for the return of Will and Grace, but I just haven't been sort of going there myself and searching out content lately. What, what do you think about their programming mix recently? Um, well, look, I see a lot. I don't know whether you're seeing it down there, but I see a lot of wraparounds of the Sydney Morning Herald, and they have the regional newspapers in this area, and I see a lot of wraparounds as well for it uh, down here. You know, they really flog the hell out of yes. Twin Peaks, um, and I saw a lot of Will and Grace wraparounds. I watched – I actually went on stand last night. I had a – I thought to myself, I need to uh, catch up, so I hooked up my Foxtel now to the TV and caught up on the, ju- the juice – on Showcase and A Place to Call Home. And then I thought, right, I'm pretty sure there's an episode of Will and Grace to watch on stand, so I got on there. Um, yeah, look, uh, it's it's funny, you know, because uh, I've got a – when I go away, I get this friend of mine and uh, she comes to my house to look after my dog and I, and I try to give her money and she won't take the money and she goes, oh, no, I just, I just love coming to your house. I just sit there and watch Stan all the time. That's the <laughs> yeah, treat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, for that $10 a month, I'm also getting free dog care, so I'm very yeah, grateful. Yeah, well, they've, they've certainly got a, a good lineup of stuff. There's another series called uh, White Famous, which looks interesting. That's launching today. So they've, they've had some uh, big arrivals in uh, in November. Look, we promised it uh, in October. We promised at the start you'd quickly tell us a little bit about this movie convention. Tell us what happens. The movie convention is held up on the Gold Coast every year and all the distributors are there and all the um, uh, cinema owners and anyone connected with cinemas goes to it and every studio gives a presentation and they have a, you know, it's in the Star Theatre at the Star Casino and they have big, massive screens. Some of them, they show the uh, movies, you see actual movies. You're bound by social media not to give away any information because quite often you're being told about movies that are in the planning stages and the director comes out on stage for an Australian film and says, 
this is my vision and you, they, you, know, they, you know they say they take you on this journey so you see the movie as it goes along um i think one of the the, the most important things to come out of it james was the uh fixing the uh preconception the misconception that uh, Hollywood movies are really failing at the moment because, you know, so much of the media chatter is if something fails at the American box office, it's labelled a flop, it's a disappointment, it's underperforming. And and I must admit I've been um, part of that, uh, re-reporting that information, but they actually showed attendance figures all around the world. Yes, the American box office is down, Yes, the Australian box office is down and so is the New Zealand box office because they haven't had a local hit this year like a hunt for the wilder people. But I tell you what, um, when you look at uh, it's up 10% in the UK and it's up everywhere else in the world, James, particularly in countries like China where it's going through the roof. So it's just, uh, it's very interesting that... um, you know, things aren't as bad as they, they are. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think there'll be a big boxing day this year? Would you think there's some good stuff, isn't it? Um, look, it's, there's no doubt that there are some tired franchises out there. Do we need another Pirates or Transformers or movie? Some of those are showing their age. Thanks for joining us this week, uh, Andrew. We'll see you again in uh, a fortnight's time. Thanks so much, James. Look forward to it.